Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live at Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media or to tune into our live stream services, visit us online at calvaryco.church or download our free Calvary Church app. Now here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Amen. Take your Bibles, open them to Genesis chapter 18, verse by verse through the book of Genesis on our midweek Bible study. And on the weekends, we're in the book of Acts. So God has us as a church going back to beginnings, not only the beginning of everything in the heart of God for the world, but then on the weekends, the beginning of the church. And what does God want from his church? And we're studying right now the life of Abraham, this man of great faith. And at the ripe old age of 99, he was circumcised. And although that would be a very painful thing for a man that's 99 years old, it's really an act of obedience. And it reminds us that obedience sometimes is very painful. And it has a long-lasting pain attached to it. I mean, it's far more painful to live a life of disobedience. I like to think in my own life, if I can remember properly walking in the Spirit, that I would much rather have the consequences of obedience than the consequences of disobedience. Because I think in living in the dark world that we're in right now, it's going to be painful either way. You have a world that's antagonistic toward God. You have a world filled with temptations, the world, the flesh, and the devil always pressing in. So there is going to be pain. Jesus said there will be tribulation to have good cheer. He's overcome the world. But here, Abraham's in a good place. He's now within a chapter at a high point in his life. He's obedient. He's compassionate. He's hospitable. And these are wonderful byproducts of living by faith. I ask you to open to Genesis 18. Would you hold your place there? Let's go back to Galatians for a moment. Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. And when you get there, I want to draw your attention to verse 7. As Paul is writing to the believers in the region of Galatia, he has some strong, encouraging words. And he says in Galatians 6, 7, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we don't lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. And of the many things we learn in this section of Scripture in Galatians, we learn that we can, expect, we can expect great things in our lives when we live righteously sowing spiritual things. You can have an expectation from God to reap what you sow. Hey, I know that on the negative side of this, that's probably the way that we use this most often. As a warning, don't sow to the flesh. It's not going to end good. And that's true. But I also want you to know the same truth applies to those that sow in the Spirit. You can expect God to honor His Word, that you'll reap everlasting life. When you sow to the Spirit, your family will be blessed, your home will be blessed, your workplace will be blessed. And, and I think the, the, the issue that Paul attaches this to is weariness. It's weary. You can get weary sowing to the flesh, 
But you can also grow weary sowing to the Spirit. Like consciously, continually. I mean, imagine God comes to you at the age of 99 and says, look, here's the sign and the seal of my covenant. You need to get circumcised physically and all the males need to be circumcised. In order to sow to the Spirit, that's going to be painful. There will be pain attached to it. It's not the pain of sin. It's the pain of obedience. And in a world that we try to avoid so much pain and suffering, it's, it's best just to say, you know what, Lord? I know it's coming, and I know it's going to come is with this fight and the battle for righteousness in my life, but I can sow to the Spirit. And when you and I sow to the Spirit, we won't be disappointed. It may take a day or a week or a month or maybe even years, but you can bank on this promise. If you sow to the Spirit, you'll reap everlasting life. And I would be remiss if I didn't warn you, if you sow to the flesh, it might be a day, it might be a week, it might be a month or years, but you will reap the consequences of sowing to the flesh. So here's a high point in Abraham's life, verse 1 of chapter 18. Then the Lord appeared to him by the terebinth trees at Mamre as he was sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day. So he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing by him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the ground and said, My Lord, if I have now found favor in your sight, do not pass on by your servant. Please let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. And I will bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh your hearts. After that, you may pass by inasmuch as you have come to your servant. And they said, do as you have said. So here's Abraham resting, taking a nap in the heat of the day. I think spiritually you could say he's resting in the Lord because I, when you're obedient, you can rest. It, you, you rest better when you live a life of obedience. There's a real peace and rest associated with abiding in Christ. And I think Abraham's experiencing this long before the new covenant. And then out of nowhere, these three visitors show up. And, you know, Abraham doesn't know it yet, but these are actually two angels and the Lord himself. This is a Christophany or a theophany. You see it later on. If you just want to see it, uh, jump over to verse 22 of chapter 18. The men turned away from there and went towards Sodom, but Abraham still stood, notice, before the Lord. And again in verse 33, so the Lord went his way as soon as he would finish speaking with Abraham and Abraham returned to his place. And then in verse one of chapter 19, the two angels came to Sodom in the evening and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. And when Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself and his face toward the Lord. You got two angels and a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. Pre-incarnate means before the eternal son of God took on a human body in the womb of Mary, he appeared from time to time. And this was one of those appearances. Now notice when Abraham sees them, he has such a broad, deep heart of hospitality that he runs out to them and invites them to stay. And you know, put this into context. Abraham's 100 years old. The guy just got circumcised. He's resting on a hot day and he runs to them to care for them. I mean, it's stepping into the situation taking advantage and opportunity to meet the Lord or in this case all he knows yet is to meet these visitors 
But knowing that this is a pre-incarnate appearance of the Lord, let me ask you a question. How do you meet the Lord today? And what is your attitude? What does that look like? I mean, we have a familiar routine. The alarm goes off in the morning, and then we have a choice. Uh, Many hit a button that says, I'm going back to sleep, and we hit it. And, and I don't even have that on mine anymore. I use my phone. How many of you use your phone for an alarm now? Yeah, so it takes a long time to find that little button. You're just like, ah, oh. you know, and if you have the wrong alarm on and it just really wakes you up and you can't go back to sleep, but then what do you do? I mean, is it just the drudgery of the day and the difficulties before you, or is there a consciousness of the presence of God? How do you meet the Lord in the morning? First thought, because he is there. You know, it's time, an opportunity for times of devotion or prayer or have on that same phone that's your alarm, you can download the Bible app and have it read to you in the morning as the word of God is being saturating your heart. I mean, do you get up in the morning and go, oh Lord, it's so good to be with you. Or do you wake up in the morning and say, good Lord, it's morning. I better get off to work. Another thing I notice here is how normal this situation is. So I think we over-spiritualize things in our relationship with God, but this is very normal. Got a guy resting, healing up after a surgery. He's on the heat of the day. He sees visitors. It's customary. It's hospitable to go out to them. And it's interesting that God comes to him in the form of a human being appearing to Abraham in a very natural way. A very natural way. Even though it was very much a supernatural event, it happened very normally. And how often I think that God is trying to speak to us and appear among us and interact with us, but we miss him. We want something more dramatic. We, we want the audible voice, speak to me from heaven and I'll know it's you, God. We're expecting the ground to rumble like Elijah did. But so often the Lord speaks to us in very normal ways. As our pastor, Pastor Chuck Smith, once said, God often operates supernaturally in very natural ways. And most of the time, God's speaking to you through his word. So you know, if you're not reading the Bible, then you're not going to hear from the Lord. You're missing a very easy opportunity, just taking it in and allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to you in a very real way in his word. And I know every time I open the Bible... I know he is speaking. I know that he is. And and for me, as well as the discipleship here, we train the men to carry their Bibles around. I know you can use your phone. I know you can, but the Bible represents something. Even at times I'll use it. Like this isn't just a decoration on the pulpit. This is my Bible. This is my Bible, the one that I've used since I was a new believer. Actually, it's the second one. Uh, I was looking not, not too long ago. I was just looking through, and this was a gift from my mom uh, back in 1995 because the first Bible that I had like this was destroyed. I mean, it was all tore up. It's in my office as a reminder. My mom saw it and said, I think I'm going to get you a new Bible, son. And I'm like, great, because we got no money. So please get us a Bible. And moms and dads, you guys are a blessing that way so many times. And I I use it and I I show you and I open it. And even today, um, this morning, I officiated a memorial. And to me, it's very important that everyone in that room see the authority that I stand in that pulpit with. You walk in differently when you have the authority. But until it's an authority in your life, 
you'll never treat the Bible that way. Hey, I'm not opposed to, I do my devos on my iPad in the morning. I, I have that. I have a devo book and some script, you know, my Bible program. I use technology. I'm not opposed to technology at all. I think we should use the latest and greatest technology to reach every generation. I'm not opposed to it. However, there's something powerful about this book. There's something powerful about opening it up and using it and remembering this is the authority in your life. You guys know on the weekends when we read a psalm together, my, I share, open up your Bibles and let's stand. Let's stand in respect for God's word. A reminder that we stand on the authority of God's word. And it's also a reminder that we stand under the authority of God's word. And that you have a Bible and that you use it. And that it becomes the tool in your life. You want to hear from God? Read your Bible. That's tweetable. You guys should be. You want to read from God? And then, of course, when I say tweetable, some people say, do people still use Twitter? Yes. Old people like us still use Twitter. You want to hear from God? Open up your Bible. Stop complaining you don't hear from God. Read your Bible. And then, of course, I'm going to hear somebody, but I do read my Bible. Well, then maybe you need to examine yourself and see in a very natural way God has been speaking all along. And just do what he tells you to do. Pray over. Read your Bible every day and pray every day. And you'll see that God's operating all around you. It doesn't have to be some supernatural goosebumps. I got chills that God is speaking to me. No, it's not always that. I remember, it made me think, I remember a few times, over the years, we get all kinds of feedback for the church, and, and, and this is a familiar, this is actually a familiar one, but I had one guy in particular that I remember he'd come up after a service he was visiting, and, and he says, you know, pastor, it's real quiet in here. You guys are on the verge of doing great things, but it's so quiet. And I'm like, well, what do you mean, man? And he was used to yelling, screaming, you know, jumping up and down and all sorts of, you know, charismatic response in the church that he came from. And he wasn't used to a quiet room where we are giving place to the Holy Spirit to speak to us through the teaching of his word. That's the primary. If you see and examine the life of Jesus Christ, the primary ministry of Jesus was not healing. It, it was not the kind of humanitarian things that God in human flesh did, his primary ministry was preaching and teaching. That's where life change comes. And so the brother goes, oh, you know, it's really, really, really quiet. Well, another Sunday, somebody comes after service, pretty close to that because I put them together, and they said, you know, it's too loud here, too much moving in the sanctuary. And I'm like, man, why don't you just come to church with an attitude of listening to the Lord? Why does everything bother you? Why, why, and maybe this is a word for someone here. It doesn't, maybe you're like, I am that guy. All right, maybe you are. And so just in a very real way, let me ask you, what's your problem? Listen to the Lord. Wherever you might be, tune your ears to the Lord. If it's too quiet for you, so be it. If it's too loud for you, so be it. If you are here by the will of God, he is ready to speak. He is ready to give you in a very natural way the information, the knowledge, the wisdom that you're seeking from him. Very natural. Verse six now, come back to Genesis 18. 
So Abraham hastened into the tent to Sarah and said, quickly make ready three measures of fine meal. Knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd, took a tender and good calf, gave it to a young man and he hastened to prepare it. And so he took butter and milk and the calf which he had prepared and set it before them and he stood by them under the tree as they ate. It's interesting in the hospitality of the home, both Sarah and Abraham were involved. It wasn't just delegated to Sarah. Abraham also was involved and he was also part of the service and the ministry to these visitors. It's important that you understand that it's togetherness in your marriage. It is not a man's job or a woman's job. It is the servant of the Lord's job to take care of those that are before you. So they both had a role. I like that. Verse nine. Then they said to him, where's Sarah, your wife? And he said, here in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. And behold, Sarah, your wife shall have a son. And Sarah was listening in the tent door, which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in age. Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. Therefore, Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I've grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord, being old also? And the Lord, notice again, as you see in verse 13, you see the word Lord is in capital letters in a reference to Jehovah. So this is where we learn here is one of these visitors is God in human flesh. And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I surely bear a child since I'm old? And mark this, is anything too hard for the Lord? And at the appointed time, I will return to you according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, no, but you did laugh. Can I just take a note? We won't develop it today, but can you just notice here? The fear of man can lead you to lie. I know that many of us, if we were asked, are you a liar most of us would say, no, I'm a very honest person. And I'm certain that Sarah was a very honest person as well. But because of fear, she lied. And that's one of the traps of the fear of man. You might be afraid to lose uh, integrity or you know, lose face, so you lie. You might be afraid to lose your job, so you lie. You, you might be afraid to lose the image that you've carefully crafted, and so you lie. And I would just tell you, it's not good to lie. Tell the truth. And be careful and watch out for fear. It'll make you do things you never wanted to do. So Sarah starts baking. He gets the main course. They put it all together. Abraham's serving in the kitchen. Sarah's serving in the kitchen. They're working together. And then the question comes, where is your wife? And Sarah was listening in, it says in verse 10. We learned that they're far beyond the years of childbearing, which caused Sarah to laugh here. She felt it was silly. And yet in verse 13, she's busted by the Lord. She's busted on it, to which she denies, of course. And to me, that's incredible because I'm reminded that God knows my thoughts. That's one of the challenges that we have when we're ministering to people is we don't know what's going on in your mind or your heart. Nobody knows. Sometimes we don't even know our own hearts. However, God knows. There's nothing hidden from him. And there's no need to continue to live a life of pretense. He knows. And I think to some degree, there's a lot about ourselves that we know, but then we believe lies about ourselves. 
And in believing lies, you may forget conveniently that you're a new creation in Christ. Old things have been passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That victory is yours by faith. And to me, the Lord knows our thoughts and then can repeat them back to us in an instant. And we need to be careful, even as we're ministering to people, the way that hearts are revealed, the Bible says, Jesus teaches us, that out of the abundance of the mouth, the heart speaks. Or out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Which one is it? It's which one, whatever one it is, it'll, which one was it? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Okay. So we won't edit that. We'll just see. I misquoted it. So I'll quote it correctly. Listen. If you can get someone talking, eventually they're going to show their heart, which is why it's important to be a trustworthy person in ministry, which you could turn that word around and learn it's important that you're worthy of someone's trust, because the more someone trusts you, the more they'll share with you. And we talk about this when somebody joins our team, we talk about confidentiality, we talk about the word confidence, and then we, we talk about the person that we've all heard, and I you know, hear it on the news from time to time, the con man. You know, a con man will seek to earn your confidence so that they could take advantage of you and take from you. And nobody in here needs to be, don't be, if you are, repent if you're a con man. This place, the body of Christ, the family of God, this church in particular, any church for that matter, is not a place for you to go and take advantage of people and to earn their trust so that you can take from them, steal from them, and hurt them. Financially, emotionally, it doesn't matter. We don't want to be a church filled with or allowing, you know, Jesus wouldn't use the word con man. He'd use the words, uh, he'd use the phrase wolf in sheep's clothing. But on the flip side of that, while a con man will take your confidence and use it to hurt you, a servant of the Lord will take your confidence and use it to help you. That's a profound difference. And if you've ever been burned or you've ever been hurt because someone's taken advantage of you, now you understand why you feel so disconnected from people because you don't trust. And really the trust has to be unto the Lord. I think of how many people will come through this church and they, you know, we might be teaching on giving or something and, and you know, we'll, we'll talk about how pastors will take advantage of giving and, you know, force things on you. There was a guy in town for a while that would make people stand and wave their tithe in the air so they could wave it like they just wouldn't care and they'd make a big deal about it and they'd invite the big tithers up first and it was all just a sham to take advantage of people. He's just a big thief is what he was. And anytime I share a story like that, there would be people listening and go, but I went to that church and I gave that tithe and I did what I was told and now I was ripped off. And you know what happens is that you put a guard up. You go, I will never be ripped off again. But I, I'm always careful to remind you, if that's you, that when you gave, yeah, you may have done it wrong. You may have had wrong motives or anything, but you ultimately, you gave to the Lord. He honors that. And yeah, you might have got burned because somebody misused your trust and that's unfortunate. I wish it never happened, but that is part of life. Jesus, he was crucified by very similar people 2,000 years ago. And so it doesn't mean now you guard yourself and you protect yourself and you don't step into other people's lives anymore or you don't give unto the Lord anymore or whatever it may be. But God knows and he wants us to build trust among one another. Now, 
Notice this phrase in verse 14. I have it underlined, circled, and highlighted in my Bible. And just allow it to fill the room. Allow it to fill your car as you're listening on the radio or, or where you are listening on the app, perhaps, or watching online. Just let it fill your heart. Is anything too hard for the Lord? This is an important question because there are many things in our lives, even in my life right now, that's too hard for me. Too hard for me. Impossible for me. There's just no way. I have no resources. I have no ability. I have no, no power whatsoever. Uh, and things, you know, even as I was reading, not even in my notes, flooding my mind right now, I can think of a few things right away that are too hard for me. But is it too hard for the Lord? Is it too hard? Is, is anything really too hard for God? And God is encouraging you now that there's nothing that comes into your life that he isn't big enough to handle. There isn't anything that comes into your life that even as it is too hard for you and me to handle, we're told in the Bible that when we are weak, God becomes strong on our behalf. That the situation, you know, when everything's easy and there's no challenges, then God doesn't show himself strong on your behalf. At least not demonstratively because there's really no need. It's when the need comes, when the impossibility knocks on the door, when the letter comes, the phone call, the text, the test results, that's when God has opportunity to show himself strong. When we're out on a limb, when we've taken a step of faith and laid it all in the line for the Lord, that's when. And so here, Abraham, Sarah's laughing. It's impossible. This is silly. It doesn't, this stuff doesn't happen. Old man and my old husband and me, we, we, this just doesn't happen. And the answer was, is anything too hard for the Lord? There is an appointed time. And even Sarah denies it. You know, Sarah was, mo- she was laughing like mockingly. It's like, oh, ho, ho. that's never can happen. Who do you think you are? And then she denies it. But I love the answer too. Again, this is, there's so many things that we could stop and do Bible studies on alone. But I love the answer at the end of verse 15. No but you did laugh. That happens to be a a part of the ministry that God has called me to that people don't like in my life. Where I just like, no, this is what happened. This is what you said. This is what you did. And, And you need to come face to face with the reality of your current situation or it will never change. I think, I forget what, where I read this, somebody wrote it, I didn't make it up, but I made it my own, uh, where, where he, he mentioned that a leader, one of the responsibilities of a leader is to define reality for people. I'm like, ah, oh. sometimes people get so caught up in the situation, they don't understand the reality. And until you understand the reality, you'll never be able to experience change. So Sarah, look, nothing's impossible for God. I'm coming back at an appointed time. Don't you tell me you didn't laugh. You did laugh. And I want you to remember this moment because it's going to play out when this kid does come in your life, when I do fulfill my promise. Notice in verse 16 now, then the men arose from there and looked towards Sodom. Oh, topic is changing here. Abraham went with them to send them on the way. And the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm doing? Since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him 
that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice, and that the Lord may bring Abraham what he has spoken to him. And the Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grievous, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry against it that has come to me, and if not, I will know. And then the men turned away from there and went towards Sodom, but Abraham still stood before the Lord. So two angels walk away, leaving Abraham alone with the Lord. Abraham is growing in his faith. Don't forget, he has a process of spiritual growth just like you do. He wasn't born as the man of faith. He, he wasn't born. It needed to be developed in his life. And this is another moment of that development. Abraham's growing and we find him uh, about to grow in leaps and bounds in his prayer life. But notice the command was to teach his family righteousness. And that's your job, moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas. Not only teaching righteousness, but by example, not merely in word. And a couple of things that I notice here. First of all, that question in verse 17, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm doing? Number one, that tells me that we all have, in our relationship with God, we all have partial knowledge. Don't forget that. We all have partial knowledge. Now, I know the knowledge that we have seems to be everything that we need to know, but we all have partial knowledge. Even though so much is revealed to us, we still don't know everything. Many times we wonder what God is doing or not doing. We think, if I was God, I would do this. But God alone knows all things. The doctrine of omniscience. Omniscience. God knows all things. You and I, we know partial. We don't know all things. And then the next thing we notice, it says in verse 22, the men turned away from there. Verse 23, Abraham came near and said, would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there were 50 righteous within the city. Would you also destroy the place and not spare it for 50 righteous? Far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous should not be as the wicked. Far be it from you, or should, shall be as the wicked. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Another phrase to underline in your, in your Bible. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right. And the Lord said, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I'll spare the place for their sakes. Then Abraham answered, indeed, I am who but dust and ashes and have taken upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose there were five less than 50. Would you destroy all the city for lack of five? And he said, if I find 45, I won't destroy it. Then he spoke to him yet again and said, suppose there would be 40. And he said, I won't do it for the sake of 40. And then he said, let the Lord not be angry, and I will speak, suppose 30 should be found there. And he said, I will not do it if there are 30 there. And then he said, indeed, I've taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord, suppose 20 should be found there. And he said, I won't dis destroy it for the sake of 20. And he said, Lord, let not the Lord be angry. And I'll just speak one more time. Suppose 10 should be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of 10. So the Lord went his way as soon as he had finished speaking to Abraham and Abraham returned to his place. What we have here is an interesting perspective of prayer. By definition, prayer is someone talking to God. That's what prayer is. So we have an example of Abraham 
talking directly with God. And that is a good posture of prayer. You can come right into the throne room of grace to find help in time of need. You can talk to God in a very personal matter. We see this with Abraham and he's pleading and begging. And it reminds me, secondly, that the wicked really owe a lot to the godly. I want you to let that sit in for a second. The wicked truly owe a lot to those of you living a life in Christ. It is because of the presence of God's people that the world is not destroyed. There is a sense of grace that comes through the pleadings of God's people. In the life of unrighteous Laban, remember, later on it was Jacob tending the flocks that Laban was blessed and multiplied. In the life of Potiphar, it was because of Joseph that he was blessed. In Acts chapter 27, we have an episode of Paul being on a ship and literally people were saved on that shipwreck because of Paul. And our country owes so much to you men and women who follow after God and intercede greatly. I want you to notice here as well that God is able to make a distinction between the righteous and the unrighteous. I know that's not a popular topic today, but there is a distinction between the righteous and the unrighteous. We may say with Christian language, the believer and the unbeliever. God does mark sin. Make no mistake about it. There be our culture tries to erase it, tries to sidestep it, tries to change the whole language around it, but not God. God is unchangeable. It's not a politically correct thing to say, of course, but the sin of Sodom is very serious. Homosexuality undermines the credibility of God's creation. It's actually a sin where you sin against yourself. Yes, it's true. Fornication is in the same category. Adultery in the same category. But so is homosexuality. To God, the sin of homosexuality is grave, very grave. And it can lead to the loss of a soul if unrepented. And and on a broader scale, according to verse 20, God says, because of the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, because their sin is very grievous, we also learn in this text that nothing is missed by God. Sin has an outcry to it. It has consequences. It crushes and destroys men and women. I think of what's being perpetrated on the children today. I think of the surgeries that are being, that are being allowed and encouraged that are irreversible. That's our culture. And it's one thing to be angry and it's one thing to have an outcry but have you been pleading with God like Abraham was? And I don't know for sure. We don't know. But as you see Abraham go from number to number, I wonder if in his mind he was thinking of 10 people in Lot's family. Because we know later on, and we'll study a little bit more about Lot, but we know later on that the Bible says that Lot was a righteous man and he was vexed in his soul daily. Here's a man struggling and battling, and yet at the same time, God declares him righteous, vexed in his soul, the old King James says. As Abraham intercedes, he asks the question. He says, 
Would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Again, for you Bible students, this is a principle of the character of God that helps to me in one thing, and there's many reasons why, but this alone, this principle of the character of God really to me affirms the New Testament New Testament doctrine of the pre-tribulational rapture of the church. God is able to make a distinction. And those that are righteous will not suffer the same judgment of wrath than those that are unrighteous. Just from this principle alone. He says in verse 25, now won't the judge of all the earth do right? Of course he'll do right. And clearly in the back of Abraham's mind is poor Lot, the backslider, the compromiser, his blessed nephew, his family, we, we kind of look, we put people in categories, you know, Lot made a lot of bad decisions, but he was someone's son, someone's brother, someone's husband, someone's dad, someone's nephew. Even as you have a love for your family. And as we close, just real quickly, again, I, I don't have time to develop it, but some notable things in the prayer life of Abraham that may be helpful for you in your own prayer life as you're praying for your country as you're praying for your politicians, agree or disagree with them, as you're praying for your family, as you're pleading for God's mercy. That's what Abraham was pleading for, God's mercy. I mean, if there's just 10 people there, will you not destroy the city? Is there just 10 people there? So three things, real quick. Number one, his prayer was very specific. And it's good in your prayers to be specific. Often when praying when my kids were younger, they would pray to save our family and save the world. And we really wanted to walk into their lives and teach them that those are wonderful prayers to save our family and save the world. But as they grew older, they started naming names. And as they named names, they started paying attention to those names. And I'm certain to this day, names are still mentioned in our prayers of family and friends. Like your boss, you know, it's, it's impersonal. Um, to say, I, I pray for the salvation of my boss. And you're just like, but you know, when you say, you know, would you, would you please touch the life of Chuck? God, you know, you put him in a position of authority over me, but I know he's just a man. It changes the whole perspective. Praying for your boss or praying for her or him by name, specific. Number two, his prayer was also respectful respectful. Based on his relationship with God up to this point, Abraham respected the power and the sovereignty of God. You see that in verse 25, shall not the judge of the earth do right? You see that in verse 30, um, let the Lord not be angry. He's respectful. Don't be angry with me, but I keep working these numbers with you, God, because I, I love my nephew. I love his family. And he was respectful. And finally, his prayer was hopeful. Or you could also say it had an, a, a, the right expectation. He prayed with expectation. You could say that Abraham prayed in faith and by faith. He was leaning on the character and the nature of God and was hopeful in his request. So it says in verse 33 that the Lord went his way and he finished speaking. And soon, now in our next study, a visit to Sodom would take place. And we'll learn a little bit about Sodom and Gomorrah next time. Father, we pray for your spirit to take the lessons that we learn. And I think, you know, I know reviewing my notes and thinking this through, I, I will sometimes impose my own limitations on you. And what's impossible for me, I just think is impossible for you. 
I also, God, find a failure and ask you to forgive me of that failure of not being satisfied with the answer that you've given me. That you have answered. And it wasn't the way I requested. And so, Lord, I pray that you would teach me and teach us contentment and trust. Trusting you with our lives and the situations in our lives. And forgive us, Lord, for being so impersonal and so upset with the current conditions of unrighteous men and women. And let us be reminded that the wicked have a lot, they owe a lot to the righteous. And may we continue to ramp up what is owed by our prayers and our intercessions for them. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Church. For prayer, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. To listen to this message in its entirety or to join us for our live stream services, visit us online at calvaryco.church or download our free Calvary Church app. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week. 